As we've been um, doing our weekly humanist group through the Liturgists podcast, I've been thinking a lot about like what is missing community-wise and what I want to participate in more. And I had this thought that might be specific to my experience, but I'd like to float it by the two of you to see like how feasible it is and how much it makes sense to other people and whether other people have had similar experiences to me that have made them feel a similar way. So the thought is this. I feel like what DIY culture has done for me the most is offered me a more or less subversive way to participate in community where I can kind of go against conventions a little bit, running a DIY space. You can kind of plan things to your level of comfort rather than participating in things where other people expect you to be comfortable. And then I had this thought, like, is that preparing me to participate in other aspects of community outside of DIY culture? And if not, how much is DIY culture actually serving me? And so then the thought was, if all of these DIY shows and all of these DIY events that I attend and have helped produce in the past are being run through spaces that are more or less unused, and that's not entirely the case, but some spaces that host concerts and host arts events remain unused throughout the week or unused unless there is some kind of event or exhibition being hosted, and what if it was more the norm that those spaces were used for more community-centric events throughout the week so that they felt more like community and less like an event space. So Justin and I have already kind of had this chat, but I wanted to revisit it and see like what all, all of our perspectives would be. Because I, I think part of this is definitely specific to my experience and like the reason that I enjoy DIY culture being that the expectations are not lower per se, but more customizable to my own desires and my own abilities to participate in community. But then what happens when I want to evolve in those desires and like grow into somebody who can have different expectations placed on them when it comes to community and not just be the one putting on the shows or like just participating at my own comfort level. Yeah. I think individualized experience is really important here. Like, because in my experience, it's like a lot of the places that I've gravitated towards are places like the chess company where it's either a workspace during the week or it's somebody's house. That's a living space during the week. And I think that counts, right? Cause it's like, if you're having house shows, that is a space that's being used throughout the week, even though it's not necessarily a community. It's it's a private space that is being mm. offered to the community on a scheduled basis, which I think makes it um, not necessarily an empty room during the week. And I think that's I think that's really cool because the hard part about community organizing for me has been finding sustainable spaces that you're able to benefit both parties. Like a lot of the times when you're hosting events, especially in like house show scenarios, and that's the example I think I'll use the most in this situation, there's gotta be a, a give. Like if you've ever hosted a show or an event at your living space, you know that you have to kind of tailor your whole living arrangement and space around it. It's a lot of take. It takes a lot to host an event, especially somewhere you're occupying, whether it's living or whether it's your, your workshop. So that mm -hmm. takes, that takes a lot out of you, but for it to be sustainable, for it to be a space for that to continue at, there needs to be a give for the hosting party. Like there has to be some sort of reason 
and sustainable way they're benefiting from having that other than just like emotional fulfillment or a community fulfillment. There's going to be some sort of tangible way that the community is giving back to that space or it's unsustainable. It eventually flops or, or they stop doing it because they can't or they don't want to do it or something bad happens because like not all their bases are covered. Like I feel like the big thing about it for me has been finding spaces that are sustainable in the way that the hosts are being compensated i guess like not just financially or anything like with donations but like there's got to be a give and a take and i feel like in a lot of times in hosting diy like community shows um there's only a take from the host um because there's some sort of shame involved right like here at the chess company we have three to four people paying the rent and when we do shows we take the donations and we give them to the bands but um there's some points where we're just like hey you know, this time, this show, like, let's take the donations and put it towards the rent because we need something, right? So it's like a lot of house show situations and stuff, that just won't happen, right? Like, people won't take for the space. They'll be afraid to kind of supply themselves with resources from the event and because of some sort of guilt or because they just keep wanting to give. But when you give so much and you don't get anything, it's like, it's unsustainable, in my opinion, in my experience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, you need some... It can't just be emotional. It's got to be a tangible give from hosting those events. And that's why I think at those spaces you're talking about, Joel, where maybe they're not being used throughout the week, I think, like, a sane, like if it's a commercial space, a sustainable system could be, like, you know... We had that conversation about, like, my dream space in the future is a space where I can have my print shop consistently... And then we have almost mm. like a function hall community space room in that right, space yeah. where Tuesdays in the morning, the Zumba and uh, that Tuesday nights are reserved for this band's practice. And Wednesdays are fiber morning. And then that shows there's open mic on Wednesday, like having those different scheduled things where there's an order. And then those right. people contribute financially or otherwise, maybe maybe with service or some some kind. But there's got to be some sort of compensation for a space to be sustainable from a community. Because I feel like mm-hmm. when you all too often, there's only a, maybe one or two or maybe three participants in the funding or organizing of a space. And when that burden is placed upon only an individual or maybe a group of two to three people, like I see so often, it goes from the idea of a community space happening for when that community does not contribute in the ways that need to happen for it to be sustainable, it becomes a private space because those people are feeling like, like, Oh shit, like we're kind of running this whole thing. Like this is our space. And now that they feel like it's their space, it ends up being a more of a privatized space where it's only being run by two or three people rather than in a community space, like running by the community. Right. So I think like it's a power shift, like, a true community space in that way, I think could only exist sustainably if the contributions are from a widespread spectrum of individuals within the community rather than just like a founding two or three members or something. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I think. Uh, what the fuck was the question again? So that said, do you think there's a trade-off between how pure um, a community's like ethos is when it starts and how sustainable it is long-term? Because I've seen that a lot in scenes past or like, Justin, like when we've gone on tour, like certain scenes that we'll play or certain houses or 
kind of DIY squats and things like that. Like it seems like the ones that are really, um, really, really ideological or like extremely it, for us passing through, it's like benevolent, but you know, it's really just like you mentioned, like just there's a lot of give and not a lot of take. Those are the ones that always flame out because eventually heart isn't enough. You know, like somebody really needs health insurance and heart doesn't cover it or like, somebody gets evicted or somebody fucks up and does something in the parking lot that's illegal. And then, you know, it's just shit happens. And eventually it just crushes the, like you said, there's always a few people involved and eventually it seems like the the burden gets incredibly intense. And it seems like on the other side, you get certain communities that sacrifice a little bit of that purity initially, which gives it a different tone, but they can also last for a really long time. Right. Because they're saying, fuck it, we're charging a door or we have like liability insurance or whatever it is. Like it's a little bit less, um, it's less free in some ways, but it's like a calculated dive. Like, do you think that that plays a role at all? Well, this is where like this, the subject of an organization comes into it, I think, because we recently released our episode where we talked about home bases and the value of home bases being like a canvas that you can kind of like turn into anything and like you can experiment with people's interest levels and in which things you happen to offer and like then you kind of decide what's the main direction you're going to go. And the example we were tossing around was the hearing room, which started out as like just a blank canvas and they hosted as many different kinds of arts-centric events as they could, not just music events, but a lot of different things. And found that like, yeah, music is what people come here the most for. That was going to be like their main mission statement anyway. And eventually they applied for 501c3 status, became a nonprofit, had a board of directors. I don't know what they actually called it, but they had a board of people kind of determining this is the direction that we should go with this. This is what people seem to get the most out of. Having nonprofit status made everything a lot more financially viable for them to keep renting the space that cost almost two grand a month, month after month after month. Um, and then they did have to start going from suggested donations to actual cover charges um, to make it more sustainable. But at, by that time, they had experimented enough with the blank canvas model that they knew what people were going to come for and what people would be willing to pay for. And so when I hear the purity of a space, I'm equating purity to how much of a blank canvas can it be? And I think you lose a little purity when you shore up your mission statement in a way that excludes some of those things that you might've originally been able to offer. Yeah. But in losing that purity in losing that, um, that sense of like added possibility that a new space might have, you also gain some sustainability and some data basically about what people might be willing to support your space for. And then if they wanted another thing as well, hopefully there's another space that can offer that to them. Well, I also think that I've seen like two different kinds of people who host events. And mm -hmm. a lot of the people who I've met don't know which one of these things they are. But in my eyes, there's two. And there's somebody who's hosting shows for community fulfillment and for like his, they love it. Right. Like there's the, there's the kind of person who just loves hosting shows. They love how, organizing people. They love introducing their friends. They're here to have a good time and get a touring band paid or something like that's the first type of person. And that's the person who I align as being like, I don't 
host shows for profit. Maybe I'm advertising my screen printing services at shows. That's for profit. But mm-hmm. hosting events, I'm not looking to make my living. I'm, I'm looking for, for community fulfillment. I'm looking to serve other people. Yeah. And then there's the second kind of person who hosts shows, in my opinion, and it's they're running a business, right? So then there's the yeah. other person who is charging door covers, who's making bands sell pre-sales, who's, who's, ho- mm. who's renting out restaurants or club halls at like an like out-of-pocket fee, hoping to make a profit. Like there are people who are running booking companies, right? Yeah. And I think people get confused. I, I've, I've seen a lot of people start out doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. and then being in the middle and being like, wait, why aren't I, why aren't I making money off this? But they won't go the whole way that to that side. Cause they're like, well, if, does that make me shitty if I want to run a business off of this? Right. Does that make me shitty if I, if I'm trying to pay my bills from this? And I don't think it makes you shitty, but I think people have a guilt around that, around making the transmission of being a booker rather than a, a community organizer. And yeah. that, like, they find themselves in this limbo state of I want to help people and I want to make have shows be free or I want to do donation based shows, but I also want to like pay my car insurance or whatever it is. So I think people find themselves in limbo a lot and like they're just like, hey, like I don't really understand whether I'm running a business or I'm giving to my community. They want to do both. Mm. And like I think both yeah. can be done, but one needs to be focused on, I think. Yeah. Like you've got to lean one and way or the other are you going to burn out and you're not going to want to do it anymore because you're not getting anything from it right and that's kind of what i was getting at with the trade-off too yeah that's yeah, yeah that's like what i was trying to loop back to that like you got to know what you want i think yeah in any leadership position because that's what it is like people are afraid to say that but like um i think that being responsible for a party of people whether it's two people or 200 i think you're in a you're putting yourself in a leadership position you're, you're putting yourself in a host position where there's a bunch of people there and whether they're asking for where the bathroom is or whether somebody needs an ambulance they're coming to you yeah you know so like putting yourself in a leadership position you have to know what your goals are you know like am i here to make 10 bucks for every ticket sold or am i here to provide a space on my dime essentially for people Mm. because i feel fulfilled in some other way and and i think people who find themselves in the middle get frustrated you know Mm. Well, I would kind of pause it too that there might be a, a third type, which does not happen a lot and probably doesn't happen a lot intentionally, especially, but like it's the, you're not necessarily running it as a business in like an expansionistic or like capitalistic way. Like you're not looking to like take over the city of Boston with a booking company or something like that. And, and you probably wouldn't charge pre-sales or do any of the stuff that we all kind of like roll our eyes at when we see these people. But there's like that kind of middle ground where somebody understands how much of it has to be a business for self-preservation's sake, but they kind of stop it there. Cause I, like I was on the board of directors for an organization that did that basically, and they were falling apart. So it's like some parts of this weren't quite happening, but like they charged a cover, they had definite bylaws. They were a um, nonprofit. It was pretty above board in that way. And that offered a shield. So like, you know, the cops never had to come, there was never any, like their head was constantly on the chopping block, but like nobody wanted to be the guy that was going to swing the ax. Mm. It was just enough of kind of like cover from the negative aspects of the greater community that the sort of like thing that was happening in the center, like all the, the music that was happening in the art and everything could happen kind of undisturbed. And I find that that's a really rare type. 
and it takes a certain kind of like zen or discipline on the part of the organizers that usually ends up kind of unrequited in its own way. Mm. But um, I've always been really intrigued by that because I see a lot of people, like you were saying, Justin, like they don't know how to categorize themselves and they end up kind of burning out one way or another. And it seems like a lot of people, if it felt more okay to just take a breath and park themselves in that middle ground, their thing would never have to be disrupted. They would just continue doing what they're doing. People would adapt to it and that would be that. Mm. Yeah, I guess I would I would categorize that middle section, Matt, as more aligning with what I'm doing. Yeah, um, yeah. B- because I mean that's also does align with some like well, like I said before, like taking donations sometimes for the rent or promoting the services that the chess company can provide, like Ian's sound stuff, Brian's drawing, mm. uh, my printing teeth, you know, makes makes art we're trying to pedal. Like it's just finding ways to sustain the space off of the community people who participate within the space on the events and stuff. Like, I think that fits the bill of what you're talking about with like trying to be sustainable, but not, yeah, not definitely. exactly trying to like make an empire. And I think, I think that's, yeah. I just, I just consider that also what we're doing on our, our, on like that side of things. Cause I think if without that, it just fizzles out. Cause you have no, you have no, unless you're rich, which nobody who's rich will be doing something like this. You know, I think that just ends up aligning with the way that I do things and the way that the people around me that I work closely with do things, you know. But that's why it seems like there's three kind of distinct stages almost. Like you get the people who are vehemently opposed to taking money or doing anything that's not like absolutely through and through ideological. And then you got people in the middle who are like, I have my ideologies. I have my reason for doing this. I also don't want to be constantly taking shit for doing this. So, like, I'm going to sort of carve out my space. And then you've got the people who are like, I can get bands to sell 200 tickets for every show, even if nobody comes. I'm going to take over the Northeast. And it's like people fit pretty neatly into those categories to me, just based on the the stuff, like, from, from touring or from local stuff or whatever, like, when just the people that you come across. But it is interesting, too, because people can fall into those groups and they aren't always... It doesn't always result in communities. Mm. Sometimes it results in scenes or rooms. I guess to circle back to what my main concern was, I think I've been very reasonably able to like assimilate into DIY culture and arguably have mostly played either that leadership role or that like because I have my own experience in these kinds of spaces, if I show up at your space and you need help, I'll help you. So I'm always in this sort of like event producer role, no matter where I go, or at least I'm, I'm in that mode. But I'm almost never in a passive participant mode. And so I think that I've like learned very well how to run shows and how to be in the leadership role and how to like, kind of do things on my own terms. But that's not helping me to assimilate to doing things on other people's terms. Like I'm able to allow other people to be the host, obviously. But if you take that out of the DIY culture, if you take that out of like the sort of more underground show sort of thing, like if I wanted to go to my local library and participate in a book club with strangers, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. Like it would be stressful for me. I'd be very self-conscious. And so part of my thought about why don't more of these types of events happen that are non-music specific and that are just more like community organizing events is that I wonder how many other people 
are a part of the more underground community stuff, the more like underground music culture, because they too have had in the past a hard time assimilating to like that kind of thing, like a book club at the library, extend that out to whatever other examples you want to. And would it help me to assimilate to that kind of thing if it were more present within DIY culture within that like underground community organizing culture. And then I'd be more comfortable participating outside of that. And so by extension, would other people who are there for the same reasons be helped by the same thing? So like if I still had a studio down the street, like I would experiment with this if I could, I no longer have the space to, but I'd be curious what it would look like to like host shows as well as host like random potluck socials and book clubs and like discussion groups in person and just, you know, have people come together to practice meeting with strangers and to like practice doing things that aren't so show specific or exhibition specific and see what it looks like when a room full of strangers has a shared focal point that is a little bit outside of the comfort zone that they developed going to the DIY spaces. Again, like I would experiment with it if I had the resources still, but I'd be curious to see like, do people do things like that? And do people use spaces to be like, almost, almost like community rehabilitation? Um, like, that's not the right word, but almost like, like, in, like insecurity rehabilitation so that people are more comfortable in community spaces where they in the past would not have felt like they belong. Well, I think it begs the question of how much of that discomfort comes from the activity itself yeah. or the, the newness of the activity versus the people mm -hmm. themselves. Because I could see, at least for myself, like, I, I mean, I would be completely open to that happening. Like, that would just be really cool to, like, go into the kinds of scenes that, you know, I'm really comfortable with and do not only shows, but, like, do book club or do, like, a craft night. Like, that shit would be awesome. But I think I would still feel the same trepidation if I went down to my library and did that. Yeah. Because the thing that gives me comfort about like the DIY scenes is that like I understand those people more than I understand like the people that I would run into just in the the normie world. Mm -hmm. And I just I think I, I find those scenes a lot more forgiving of like idiosyncrasies and quirks and you can be you. Like that's a special thing that doesn't happen everywhere. And I don't necessarily know, again, just for me personally, I don't know if that would provide the armor that I need to go into a more mainstream environment and feel that comfort. Absolutely. But it's kind of the same principle that we were talking about recently, where we've been joking about starting an amateur basketball league. Yeah. And like, neither of us are really entirely comfortable talking to people, like talking to sports fans about sports, right? Yeah. But like, if we played the sport a little bit, would we be yeah. comfortable talking about like what the Celtics did last week with somebody who brought that up to us? You know, like maybe, maybe not. But yeah. I think like practicing having experience with something that is outside your comfort zone so that when the thing comes up, when you're with people who are outside your comfort zone, it's a more comfortable topic or it's a more comfortable kind of a, a arena to play around in conversationally. So maybe it's like learning a new skill then, right? Like, yeah. like the basketball thing is a good example because like I would never in a million years go to like my town's like intramural basketball. Be like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'll do this. Nor would I unless I <laughs> started the amateur basketball league and it was yeah. something that like I was in, not in control of, but like, you know, yeah. a founder of or like a a primary participant in. 
and then decided that I liked it a lot. And then yeah. with the experience of playing, I'd be more comfortable joining the intramural league. Yeah. But if it if I had no experience at all and was just like, I want to try a new thing, my instinct would not be to try it with strangers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't have that sort of outgoing extroverted sociability about me. And it really depends on the activity and like my knowledge about the activity and my comfort level with like the specific place that we're in. So my point here is if the more underground subversive spaces that we have access to were more encouraging of like, let's all do these things together that are outside of our comfort zone and that are outside of what these spaces are normally used for, like more community center adjacent things rather than music venue adjacent things, then if enough of the members of that community shared in the feelings that like they are also a little bit insecure and a little bit afraid to talk to strangers and do something that they might be interested in, but can't quite take the leap because they're uncomfortable within like other types of community, then would that serve people to better be able to assimilate into the things that are more widely available, but also more daunting to participate in? I think to input on that, you mentioned shows be, as being um, based around exhibition, ex exhibitions, like performance-based, like you're there to see a thing happen, right? It's yeah. a show. So mm -hmm. I think there's an appeal that may be overlooked about going to an event where you're not participating. Like I think a lot of, I've met a lot of people who like to go to sh things that are show-based because there's a schedule, you can see what it is, you can go, not talk to a single person, be a fly on the wall and leave. Like you yeah. can get, you, you, some people go to these things and the appeal is that you don't have to participate. Like I think mm -hmm. a lot of the things that you're talking about, Joel, are taking the scene or the community that is based around seeing performances and like that being the activity and mm -hmm. taking those and and transferring them to situations where everybody must participate on, on the event that's happening. And I'm not sure that that would necessarily be universally um, or even majority appealing to people because I think a lot of people that I've known, maybe I'd say almost half, go to events like that because they are excited to do something where they have no pressure to participate. And yeah. the, the, pe the people who want to participate form a band or start writing poems. Like they find a way to participate or they find a way to help set up the shows. Like the people who want to participate do and they come forward and they're not shy about it. But I yeah. think I think I think a large participation from the audience is actually not participating, which is an appeal. And I think that wouldn't necessarily apply to more specific focused groups like that, where the idea is you're getting together and you're doing something and you're going around and you're all knitting or you're all talking about books or, you know, like those things I think would only appeal to the people who like to participate in events and not people who are there to be a fly on the wall. That's a really good point. Um, and it leads into like another part of this realization um, or part of this like kind of equation that I've been trying to figure out for the past year which is that, yes, there needs to be that like unstructured playtime for everybody. And that's a really comfortable thing to have within like regular community events is just to know that, yeah, I can be a fly on the wall if I want to. I can be, you know, as individually focused as I feel I need to be during this event. And I don't need to participate directly. Um, but then the other side of that is that I feel like sometimes when people don't feel maybe not the need to participate, but I feel like when people 
are put in like that passive of a position where they're, I guess there's a difference between needing to participate and accountability, right? And like anybody that you know who has experience in like DIY culture knows at least a few people who have experienced like sexual assault in those venues, you know, in those spaces that could be run a lot better. And so I wonder what it is about those spaces that maybe doesn't promote that sense of accountability. And let's be clear, it's not just the DIY spaces. It's also like the music business in general is a fucking toxic thing to be a part of sometimes. But what is it about some spaces, particularly DIY spaces, where maybe accountability is not promoted to the extent that it could be? And I think that part of it is that balance. And part of it is like maybe we don't encourage people to participate enough and to like be in community enough while here. Um, but also, yeah, people need to have that sense of this is unstructured playtime for me. This is a place where I can just be and not feel pressure to participate. But then between those two sides of the scale, there is accountability in some way. And I think that projecting a space as a community space and not just a space for exhibition and not just a space for unstructured whatever stressing the community part of it could be very beneficial in allowing people to feel like they are part of something and in something together and therefore more accountable. This is a theory that is completely untested, but it came to my mind that like people act out of aggression when they don't feel a solid sense of connection or they act out of a sense of, they act like harmfully when they don't feel a sense of connection. And the best way to promote a sense of connection is through like stressing the community element of a space. Again, untested theory, but it's kind of where my mind goes when I think about that. I, I was confused as to what you meant by accountability in that situation, because accountability to me is, is being held accountable for either your actions to others or or maybe your role in in some sort of obligation. But I don't really... Are you suggesting that there should... Being a community space there should be an expectation of people when they walk in that they should kind of test their comforts and that they should try to be in the middle of that scale. Cause I, I, I think being somebody who really, really enjoys like safe spaces and, and spaces where you kind of shouldn't really have any expectations dealt on you. Like, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with somebody being on either side of that scale. Like, I think, no, I, think I don't, you know, I don't in the way that I should have, word of that is definitely more like no matter which side of the scale that you're you're on there is still accountability for like whatever social behavior you are choosing to exhibit or whatever degree of social you consider that experience to be for you accountability okay. still has to exist so I, I guess the question really is just like what would promote more accountability if you're talking about promoting accountability, I think I think loud direct action by somebody who is in a leadership position is the most effective thing I've ever seen. Sure. Um, in that, so like, let's take let's use an example, a real world example. Let's use the Middle East restaurant in, in mm -hmm. Boston, staple of the Boston scene for longer than I've been alive. Totally. Uh, which isn't hard, and <laughs> the the incident. Because Boston's a weak scene, or because you're very young. <laughs> I mean, take it how you will. Uh, <laughs> but to not get into any big specifics, the spark notes is, from what I understand, an employee did something heinous and disgusting and, like, assaulted mm -hmm. somebody at a show. 
the staff was just like, um, what the fuck? Like, get out of here. They kicked the guy out. Uh, the talent buyer, who was a good friend of mine, he quit. Um, a lot of the, like, the people quit because the owner, the oncier of the Middle East, was complicit and didn't, didn't actually do anything about it. Like, he kind of was, like, on the side of, like, oh, it just, it just happens all the time. Like, he was just being a dick about it. Um, and when that happened, like, the whole staff, like, left, got different jobs. Like, people started boycotting it. There was direct action from, like, the talent buyer and from, like, the sound guy. They were like, hey, fuck this. Like, this place sucks. Like, everybody stopped going here. And those are the people who are the backbone. That's the guy who was booking the shows. That's the reason people were there. So, like, mm -hmm. when you have somebody who's important like that taking charge and being like, hey, we're not going to stand for this. This isn't, this isn't what we're here to do or support. People followed suit and they stopped going. And then the, there was demands made, right? The, the demands were that they wanted that guy out of there. They wanted the... Oh, there's four owners, I believe, and the one that was in question, like the demand was he leave, he shall share, and he 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 doesn't isn't involved anymore. Mm -hmm. And then over COVID, it kind of was stagnant. People thought they were gonna sell it, and then that guy did leave. And now that he's gone, people are starting to occupy the space again because it feels safe, mm -hmm. and and the threat has been eliminated. And it wouldn't have happened that way if the people, the talent buyer, and the sound people, and the other staff didn't stand up for it and, and, and boycott and spread the word and, and be loud about it. Cause if, if they were quiet and they didn't take that charging position, it would have just been known as a dangerous place and nothing would have changed. And that person probably still would work there. Yeah. So like the reason why that change happened was because of direct action from people who are in leadership roles. And that's why I think leadership roles are important because I have dabbled a lot in the ideals uh, surrounding like communism and, and anarchism and all these different facets of uh, social structures that like are essentially leaderless or, or very like community driven. But for a space to have some sort of sustainability, I believe a leadership role actually is really required. And unless you have everybody on the same exact page, a leadership role can be really, really useful for for making sure accountability is 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 heard, and mm -hmm. I think I think that's that ends up falling on the position of people who are going to show you where the bathroom is at the venue, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it has to be loud, like you were saying, because like yeah. I remember a similar thing happened. Remember that whole incident at Out of the Blue years ago? Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the owner condemned the actions of I think it was the Booker or whoever was the person on the wrong side of it. But I knew people who were just boycotting the venue itself after that happened. And it's like something bad happened at a space and therefore the space is unsafe and spaces aren't unsafe. People are unsafe. And I think that when things like that occur that make people feel like the space itself is unsafe, you need to make sure that if the space is going to stay around, it gets repopulated with safe people. Yeah. And something yeah. like this, you know, what I'm talking about, like the accountability thing, Something where a space is like, okay, m there is more positive and accountable community members that occupy that space than there are villains and um, abusers and stuff. And I think like the more that we can get that to happen, the better. And the less that we give spaces just like a kind of singular focus of, well, this is a space that where the music business happens. And because the music business is often a toxic business, then this is likely to happen again at that space because it happened once. And maybe if there were more community 
focused events rather than music focused events. And it sounds like throughout this whole spiel, I'm like, I'm hating on the music focused events and I'm not. I just think like I'm call this the result of having introspected enough throughout the pandemic to learn that I'm a little bit bored with music. And I'm a little bit bored with it being the focal point of every event that I attend. And I'm realizing that it's where I've made myself comfortable because it's where I have managed to develop a leadership role for myself. So outside of that leadership role, where would I be comfortable and how can I make myself comfortable? And I think that means going out of that comfort zone of music and into something that I'm less acquainted with. But if I do that, I have to know that there is solid community somewhere and solid accountability somewhere. And I think a lot of people feel the same way when a sexual assault incident has happened or when like any kind of impropriety has happened somewhere is I want to know that there is safety there, but probably that sense of safety is going to come from something being led by a solid community and not just like one person trying to make things like that not happen. And I think that people are more likely to participate in that kind of community leadership if there's more than just the one focal point. But I could be wrong about that. Well, I would kind of caveat that too by saying that I think the structure or the accountability um, and sort of diffusing that sense of community amongst the the members might buffer it against recklessness, like directly. Like it might kind of like really imbue people with the sense that like we're all on this lifeboat together. Let's not go punching holes in this by doing stupid shit. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like predation and like people doing like legitimately predatory or like scary abusive things, I kind of think that that's on a different wavelength, you know, like that's more specific to the people doing those things sometimes. I mean, it can absolutely be cultural. Like there are definitely scenes where I've been in where like that kind of stuff is more normalized as opposed to other scenes where it's, it's not. But a lot of times it's like, it seems like the people who do stuff like that, like they have justifications for it. They're not just kind of doing it because no one was looking. Mm. They're doing it because they think that they're owed something or because they think that like, this is how the world works or whatever. Okay. And I don't know that accountability would would make a dent in their their ego, you know? You're right that I'm basing this off the fact that no one is looking. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good caveat. Because like something like the the Middle East thing, mm-hmm. there's a ton of structure and this, a sense of accountability was probably in those ranks as much as it could be without it having a, a huge ideological center, um, given just that people, that was their jobs. Like people mm-hmm. wanted to keep their jobs. And if somebody started doing bullshit like this and then the scene boycotted the club, those people's jobs had gone pretty soon. So they're very, they're, they have a self-interest, you know, in like kind of cleaning this up as well as maybe a moral interest in cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of lean more towards Justin's view that like the, you need the strong singular leader at a certain point, but maybe it also is beneficial to have both of these. Like if you sort of have that sense of accountability spread out, it keeps people from doing dumb shit like vandalizing or keeps people from, you know, it just, it helps kind of keep itself balanced. But when that balance gets thrown off so severely that something like a sexual assault has happened, you need somebody to bring down the fucking hammer on that person. And I think it's just a different category when that kind of thing happens and it needs to be dealt with swiftly. Mm-hmm. 
I'm a big fan of instead of a place feeling like it's owned by everybody there, like a true communal space, I, I think for sustainability's sake and for problem solving, like we're talking about now, um, having a core group or core person that can remain accessible and approachable, but also take responsibility for mm. for solving deep issues like that i think i think that's the most sustainable way to run a space that's community oriented is having it doesn't necessarily have to be a monarch but uh just like one to two to three to four people at least that care a whole lot and are involved with running it but there's got to be somebody or a, a two people or something that are the people who are taking the shoulder of the responsibility having having a space because when shit hits the fan, there's got to be that person to bring down the hammer, kick somebody mm -hmm. out. There's got to be somebody who puts together that Google Drive calendar. There's mm -hmm. got to be somebody who unlocks the key an hour before the show or or takes out the trash. There's got to be rent paid. So, like, I just think there's a fixation when it comes to community spaces on it belonging to the people who attend there and belonging to the community. But it's really difficult for like a group of 30 people to like coordinate and own something and care about it that much. When so many people are involved, like it, things are more sustainable when it's important to somebody in their day to day. Mm -hmm. And for that to happen, a community that has kind of daily occupants or leaders or just people who are on the paperwork, I think that's way more sustainable. Like having like, like, Oh, you're here. Uh, uh, go talk to to Justin or Brian or Ian, and they'll show you where the bathroom is. Or, or hey, oh my God, somebody, can you imagine if there was nobody specific that owned the space? If let's just say that's the scenario, oh, that happened to you. I have no idea who to tell about that. <laughs> you know, like like the cops come, there has to be oh, like everybody points at that the same person usually, right? Like, like they're like, oh fuck, like yeah, we got to get Kevin over here. He's the guy. He's the guy that you need to talk to, you know, like there has to be a somebody who's taking responsibility and shouldering the load of having a space where people are gathering and, and creating and stuff. Because when things like that happen, when when somebody does something insidious or or when there's a mishap, there's got to be somebody who has the authority to clean it up. And by doing that, too, you also, I think, allow for the different levels of social engagement to continue happening, even when things get really tough, you know, like because not everybody is going to be comfortable with like when they see an injustice going down, being the person who jumps up on the table and points and says, what the fuck, and starts rallying everybody. Like, that, in addition to being a morally, you know, admirable thing to do, it's also, it requires a certain social skill set that I sure as hell don't possess. I don't think a lot of people that I know possess naturally. It's So by having a leader up there to kind of, like Justin said, not necessarily a monarch, like this doesn't have to be an iron fist thing, but like... Yeah just somebody that you can sort of signal when shit's going down, who you trust to deal with that shit, but who you can kick out of there when you don't trust them and everybody else doesn't trust them either. It kind of like doubles back to just allowing everybody to exist on their own social plane and still be there for their own reasons, but also feel safe to be there and feel like there's a, at least a sense of order when things get disorganized or scary or chaotic. And I, I think that that's really important for for the longevity or the growth of a community, especially DIY one, because the point is that it's going to be looser than proper society anyway. Because mm. if it weren't, we'd all just, I don't know, we'd go get straight jobs and, <laughs> I don't know, Prozac and stuff. Yeah. 
so I don't know. I think there's a really delicate balance between how, I guess, for lack of a better term, how anarchistic these things are able to get and how safe or enduring they're able to be. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of the way my, t- my point definitely ties into that is like people, when you say safe space, people want to be, people want to feel protected, right? Like people want to go somewhere and be like, okay, I'm not going to get accosted here. I'm not going to be attacked here. I'm not going to be generally given a hard time here. I'm not going to get the police called on me unless I do something fucking fucked up. But like, I'm not going to like, I'm not standing out as like outside a seven 11, wait, like loitering, waiting for a cop to bother me. Like I'm, I have a place here where like I can be myself and I can be with my loved ones or meet strangers that maybe I know share the general ideas that I have. And like people want to feel protected. And when, in order to have somebody feel protected, you need somebody protecting the group. Like you need somebody providing that safety. And that just ends up being like to have a space like that. You need somebody who cares, who is dependable and re- and able to shoulder that responsibility. And like, not everybody can shoulder that responsibility, even if they have to, you know, like I think it's necessary to have somebody who is able to care so much about having something like that exists that they are able to shoulder that responsibility and take initiative. And, and like without a per- central person like that, I think places are just doomed to burn out, you know? Yeah. And that's where like having a board of directors or like some kind of organizational tier of the community space, like really works out because that's a group of people who are both accountable to each other and accountable to the community that they're serving. And in my version of this ideal, it's also a group of people who have multifaceted interests and like could potentially host different types of things. Um, like one thing that I brought up to you, Justin, when we first talked about this was like, I wish there were more opportunities within DIY spaces to like take a class, to like take a workshop taught by somebody who is a member of the community. Like if somebody, you know, just just throw out like a, a very available example, like if somebody taught a fiber arts class, like yeah, if somebody did that, just anybody did that. <laughs> just anybody, yeah. And anybody at all did that. <laughs> Specifically, Debbie. <laughs> Not sure how down she'd be, but just um, anybody, anybody, just yeah. anybody. No, but like, okay, so this is why this interests me though, because we have um, a guest coming on next month uh, to talk about DIY ethics and like the sort of crossover between like how it applies to being like a maker or being self-employed and then how does that cross cross over with like DIY music culture because I think like when it comes to DIY ethics you apply them in different ways depending on what facet of DIY culture you're involved in and there might be different like ideologies that come into play so one of the reasons why this like interests me is that like if you are a part of a DIY culture the circumstances are going to change like your outlook on what DIY ethics really mean might be better served by being exposed to other elements of DIY culture. So because DIY is so broad of an expanse outside of just what we're normally exposed to, which is like music and printing shirts and like making our own merch and stuff like that. And I feel like that as a broader community is rarely seen as much as it could be. Um, So just even outside of the accountability part, having a group of people in charge of running a space who have different interests and want to promote different types of community enrichment that expose people to broader interests. 
um, and broader skills that they can work on or, or anything like that. Like that kind of thing is exciting to me because again, I'm a little bit bored with like music being my social life, you know, and that's all it is. I bet you some of it's just a lack of precedent too, though, because yeah. at the DIY level, you don't have to worry about monetizing everything. Like we talked about in the the Sober Spaces True. Uh, episodes, I think, where it was like sometimes you have, there's like a structural barrier to having Sober Spaces past a certain point because there's just no model for how in hell you monetize stuff to a point where a bar can survive without selling drinks, um, whereas like a DIY club kind of can more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but with stuff like this, there's there's no significant structural difference between having a class versus having a show at least i mean if you if you base it on like folk shows you know it's, <laughs> there's no difference at all sometimes like four or five people hanging out so it's like it's yeah. cool and but i just wonder if it's one of those things that people haven't done you know but like if you kind of just slapped that poster on the wall and said like there's going to be a wood carving class you know i wonder if people would be interested just they hadn't thought that like oh yeah you can do this and and this is where it comes back to like what community spaces are used for because these exist. Like <laughs> the structures are already in place for exactly these types of things. And they happen at libraries and they happen at, you know, universalist churches and they happen at senior centers. And like your municipality probably offers these things for free. You know, you can go, sometimes there are performers that go to local libraries and play. There are lecturers that will like teach you cool little facts about history or something like that. Like you can go to kind of little mini seminars and little mini workshops, um, depending on where you live and what um, organizations nearby are offering those things. Um, And that's where we come back to can smaller communities and like more tired of using the word subversive because I don't know that it's serving the conversation, but I just find myself being frustrated that like there's not a lot of opportunity to have those kinds of um, enriching experiences and learning experiences outside of meeting strangers and going to spaces where I'm not comfortable. And so I just come back to these things are happening. I can participate them in them if I really want to and if I go outside my comfort zone. But I think that that takes a little bit of assimilation and I think that it, that takes a little bit of getting myself ready to show my interest in a more vulnerable place, in a more vulnerable setting. It seems like it takes risk either way. You know, like yeah. it'll take assimilation and the risks that come with that if you want to go to a place where it's kind of already rolling mm-hmm. and you want to like throw your lot in with that and like see if you can hang out there or, or help grow it or whatever. Or it takes takes just the risk of kind of a more collective failure if you pitch it to the more DIY scene you're in and people don't give a shit or you find that there's like some barrier there that you didn't anticipate or whatever. Because either way, it's something new. It's either something new socially or spiritually or it's something new communally. And both of those involve a period of ice breaking, I think. Yeah. But a lot of it, like, I don't know if it comes down to anything other than just are people into it? You know, to put it like really simplistically, like if it's something that's cool and you're able to get the word out and there's a space for it, people will turn up as long as it's on the right night and, you know, stuff like that. But that's kind of the the peril with any, even with bands and stuff. It's like it could be the coolest thing in the world, but if the right megaphone's not there, it's not going to work. And mm. same with if it's just not working and the megaphone is there, it's just, 
I think a lot of this kind of stuff is just, it's simple. It's just if people give a shit or not, you know? But a lot of stuff like this can absolutely be done, in my opinion. Like, you can, you could totally launch half of these things, and at least the people in our kind of collective world, I bet you they'd, they'd be into at least talking about it. Yeah. this idea a while ago and it fits this really really well i'm imagining this space where we have that function hall room and we have more open space for more different diverse events to happen hosted by different people and in that event space i'd like there to be <laughs> i had this idea of making an event page on facebook and putting a date and time on it for the for the space whether it's a chesco or the future together press whatever that is and it being called mystery event and uh, seeing who would show up and you know whoever's showing up is a, is taking an adventure that night. Like, they know, <laughs> and then like, it's kind of dealer's choice. Like, you know, like the idea is that like, let's just say, I can't do this one cause I'm about to say it on air, but uh, basically like- uh, <laughs> Mystery basic yeah, yeah. So, like, let's just say I say April 22nd at 7 o'clock at the chess company uh, mystery event. And then people show up and they don't know what's going on. And then, like, I basically tricked everybody into, like, having, like, a like a seminar on, like, a specific movie. Like, the, everybody watches the movie and then talks about it. Yeah. Or something, like, like, subjecting people to, like, regular events like that. Or, like, trick people out. Like, everybody's going to the mystery event and it's just a show. Yeah. <laughs> like you know like but like keeping people on their toes and like you know anybody who's going to a mystery event has no problem with kind of stepping out of their comfort zone and kind of trying something new mm. and that only that that means the crowd coming isn't gonna just be people who want to go to a show mm -hmm. it's gonna be people who are more aligned with what you're looking for joel yeah and like i've i've been vested in that interest as well like i want to run a space that caters to directly uh, more diverse spectrum of uh, people who are interested in doing different things, but uh, kind of tricking people into doing that <laughs> uh, <laughs> is what I'm interested in because, like, yeah. part of being an event organizer is also being a curator. You know, like if the Chess Co has a represent has a rep reputation of being a space that hosts shows that people like, if we're doing a mystery event maybe people will be like, well, I like the shows. Like, I know I like the people who run the stuff there, so I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to go there. But if it was just some random random library posted by somebody you don't know and it's just like, mystery event, like, would you really go? <laughs> the answer is probably less people would go. But if it's founded on, like, a place that already does things that people like, mm -hmm. maybe people will want to go. And then people all of a sudden, you know... Billy goes and he finds out he's a carpenter that day, you know, like, <laughs> which know. almost comes back to the idea of like that leader figure again. Cause you get that kind of brand loyalty for lack of a better term. Like you get, like if I just saw that like some random person was hosting a mystery event, yeah, I'd be suspicious as hell. I might think it's a robbery or some kind of terrible orgy or something. But if I saw that Justin was hosting a mystery event, I would be more inclined to go because I know Justin, I know Justin has an eye for these things. It would be a fun event and it wouldn't be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. the thing. Yeah. It, it, the people want to feel safe. So like 
you can't you can't do that unless you've already had a baseline for people to understand that you run safe events. You know, like right. Like like I wouldn't go to a mystery event at the Mideast. <laughs> like all the all all the love in the world to the midis but uh you know i wouldn't uh but you know if you have a more like a space that has a reputation for doing things that are catering to people's comfortabilities maybe you'd maybe you'd be more inclined to go because you know that you're in safe hands you know that you're, you're going somewhere with people that you trust and that a lot of people who are also into the idea of like doing something new are also going to be there you know like you know if if people just want to go to shows and put their hands in their pockets and maybe buy some merch that's really cool i love that i do that but people who do that might not necessarily go to the mystery event Mm. but i had this idea a while ago and i was going to do it at the puzzle factory and then we got evicted but uh and then after we got evicted we moved in the chess company and then it was a intense pandemic for two years (laughs) Uh, yeah. But but the mystery event in 2022 is on the table, Joel. So if you ever want to uh, run a mystery event for, at our space, uh, you know, start conjuring up those ideas, and I'll be uh, posting event pages. But. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And um, this was a conversation that I wanted to have for a long time now. And it's a, definitely a worthwhile topic to dig into. Awesome. Well, also, if anybody wants to buy a clawfoot bathtub, it's $200. <laughs> Uh, I just did a music video for my song Beetle in the Bath and we had to get a claw to clawfoot bathtub for it and uh, still still in the yard so if anybody uh, hit, hit me up you know my number is 774-707-9511 uh, you can call me and we'll get you that bathtub I don't know if you really want that out there uh, oh I so do okay at the end, at the end of the music video, it says that it says my number, and yeah. and if you want a tub, hit me up. <laughs> and uh, nobody's hit me up, so I'm trying to push it, you know. All right, we'll yeah. help you get that sold. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> and that's our show. As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production, and to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send an email to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. This episode was scored using selections from Justin Arena's most recent album, Talk To Me. And if you like what you hear, you can show them some support at justinarena.bandcamp.com. Or to learn more about their screen printing business, you can visit togetherrecordsma.com. We'll be back next week to debrief on how the first half of this season of the show has gone so far and where we're going for the second half. Until then.